Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast presented by me, John. And me, Louise. We have been fascinated by spooky goings-on since we can remember and wanted to share with you the stories that pique our interest. Today's story is of hauntings, possession, poltergeist, psychological manipulation and an unexpected twist. It's part one of the spooky tale of the Black Monk of Pontefract. So welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast. Thank you for all your lovely comments and shout outs to everyone that sent us a comment recently. What's today's spooky tale? This spooky tale is one of the most famous, certainly in the UK, if not the world. It's up there with the Enfield haunting, so it's with some slight embarrassment that I had not heard of it before. Darren from North Carolina introduced me to the story a few weeks ago. Many thanks, Darren. Much appreciated. It's such an amazing spooky tale that it will take two episodes to tell it. Oh my gosh, how exciting! The tale takes us to an unassuming council estate in Pontefract, in Yorkshire, in the north of England. So, do you want to tell our international listeners what a council estate is? Well, it's an estate of houses and amenities such as shops and schools built by the council which people can rent and also have the right to buy. They were first built to reward the families of soldiers who had served in the First World War after the Housing Act was introduced in 1919. They were continued to be built until the 1980s. They were meant to serve a wide range of society. Anur in Bevan, the Minister for Health and Housing, the man who introduced the NHS or National Health Service, it was his vision that the new estates would be where, and I quote him now, the working man, the doctor and the clergyman will live in close proximity to each other, end quote. It's often referred to as social housing. Pontefract is a market town in Yorkshire of approximately 30,000 residents. The name Pontefract comes from the Latin for broken bridge. Do you want to know what Pontefract's cheery motto is? Yes, that'd be grand. Post mortem patris pro filio, which means after the death of the father, support the son. It sounds a bit... I'm not sure. Is it is it royalist? Is it from the Civil War or something? Indeed it is. Cromwell, the round-headed chap, he laid siege to the town three times in the English Civil War due to its castle, which had a fearsome reputation as the best fortress in the land. So much so that after the third siege, the inhabitants begged for the castle to be slighted as it was seen as a troublemaker. What do you mean, they begged for the castle to be slighted? I don't know what that means. Um, destroyed, basically. Really? Yeah, completely trashed. So if you if you slight something, yes, you destroy it. Absolutely. I had no idea. So you mean people would try it on in a kind of "come on, Pontefract Castle" if you think you're hard enough sort of a way? Yes, exactly that. In that way, clearly Cromwell thought he was hard enough, and he proved to be right. So they began demolishing it or slighting it in 1649, not long after the third siege. Pontefract also had a priory, a Cluniac priory no less, where the monks, I'm not sure that's the right pronunciation, but it's um, that's the closest I can get, I think, Clu- I have, Cluniac I, priory. I've never heard of that. What, what does that actually mean? Ah, well, you see, it's where the monks sought the old ways of arts, crafts, beer making, helping the poor, as well as the usual deity worship. That sounds my kind of place, to be honest. I know, that sounds quite a nice lifestyle, really, doesn't it? 
It is from the hill on which the priory and the castle ruins stand that you can look across to the opposite hill, the site of where the gallows once stood, and view into the Checkerfields council estate where the black monk lives at number 30 East Drive. Haunts, surely, not not lives. Yes, sorry, I mean haunts. Although... Now, I find that interesting that the black monk is haunting a house in a 1950s council estate and not the ancient priory across the way. And yes, there are reasons suggested for why the black monk hangs out at 30 East Drive. The legend says that a monk was hanged for his heinous crimes on the gallows, not far from where the Checkerfield estate stands, and was then thrown down a well. The well is beneath the lounge of number 30 East Drive and the neighbouring house, number 79. Okay, so they threw the monk down into a source of drinking water. That doesn't sound right. I can't believe that they would actually do that. Unless it was already polluted in some way and not used for drinking. The legend says that he disposed of his victims down that well, so it could have been some form of poetic justice. All right. The Black Monk has a reputation of being the most violent poltergeist in the world. Quite how you gauge such a competition, I'm not sure. It doesn't sound a safe occupation to go around judging violent poltergeists. Poltergeists are normally attached to a person, sometimes an adolescent, and it doesn't last that long, a few months. A couple of years at most, like the Enfield haunting. Is that the same here? Not really. The hauntings cover two families that live there. There was a young girl in the second family that lived there, but the hauntings go on to this day, even though no one officially lives in the house. I'm sorry, I don't understand. How do they know the hauntings go on if no one lives there? Well, a film of the hauntings at 30 East Drive was made in 2012 called When the Lights Go Out. The producer, Bill Bungay, he bought 30 East Drive as a promotional vehicle for the film. Opening night was for two competition winners to watch the film in the very house that the film was all about and its scary goings on. Oh, I'm not sure I could watch that in the same house. I know. It's quite a clever ruse. Bill Bungay... The producer? Yes, that's right, the producer. He still owns the house. And he rents it out on a night-by-night basis for people who want to experience the hauntings. No, you can stay there? Yep. And you know what? What? Bill Bungay himself has never, ever stayed a night there. Really? In his own spooky house? Nope. Why? Because he had a recurring nightmare about the house. About the evil in the house which scared him so much that he will not spend a night there. Let me quote him. I'd lean in to listen to the closed door. I truly feel it's cold, it's darkness, it's heartlessness, it's hell. With my heart pounding out of my body, I tentatively opened the door. I had to see what it looked like. It was there, in the corner, but I couldn't see it. I had to go deeper into the room, but before I ever got close enough to look at its face, the fear so overwhelmed me that I would silently scream and scream until an actual scream woke me from my recurring nightmare. So this was, that was his nightmare, that he didn't actually, that didn't happen to him? That, that's right, that was his nightmare. No wonder he doesn't sleep in the place if that's what he thinks awaits him. Indeed. Let's delve into what happened at 30 East Drive. 
The story starts with the Farrars. Leander, or Bill as he preferred to be known, and Barbara, or Barbara as she preferred to be known. <laughs> they were married in 1950 and moved into 30 East Drive with their two and a half year old daughter in 1954. The Farrars were the first family to move into the house. Bill, a handyman, set about making number 30 a home, decorating and adding kitchen cupboards and so forth. However, nothing was as straightforward as it should have been. Cupboards fitted perfectly square one day would be askew the next when Bill came to fit the cupboard doors. Wallpaper would not stay up. As soon as he started the next strip, the one he had just put up, would start peeling away. The house would not heat up. Engineers came round, but they could not locate any problem with the heating system. The house just would not heat up. Other things were also a bit odd. One night, Barbara's mum Nancy offered to babysit for them so they could finally have a night out in Pontefract. On their return, however, the mother was very agitated, saying that baby Jane was very unsettled. She demanded to be taken home straight away. As Bill, Barbara and Baby Jane had lived with Nancy before they moved into number 30, Nancy had looked after Baby Jane many times with no problems. On this occasion, however, something had really bothered her and Nancy. What was that? Nancy wouldn't say. Oh dear, no more babysitting then. No more nights out in Pontefract. Well, not from Nancy at any rate. This was a shame as Barbara was a fun-loving, outgoing sort of a lady with a sunny disposition who enjoyed the theatre and being outdoors. She would enjoy going shopping with Baby Jane to either the next town, Castleford, or even further afield to Leeds. Moving into number 30 seemed to change Barbara, who became unsettled and withdrawn. As Bill was out at work, either on duty as a fireman or doing odd jobs when off duty, Barbara was left alone in the house. She began to take baby Jane to her mother's, often not coming back until late or even staying over. She never seemed to settle at 30 East Drive. And what about baby Jane? You said she found it difficult to settle also. Indeed, she would cry every night and would need to be constantly picked up. It worried Bill and Barbara so much that they called the family doctor. And what did the doctor say? Well, for one thing... He was very wary of the house. He examined baby Jane, but could not find anything wrong. All he could offer as advice was to take baby Jane out more. He never visited the house again, even when Barbara was pregnant with their second child, Gillian. Even though she had complications where she needed to have weekly injections. The doctor would not make a house call and she had to travel to the surgery. Oh my gosh, it sounds like Barbara took his advice and took baby Jane out more. Is that when she started going to her mother's all the time? Yes, Bill and Barbara became really concerned when there were blood marks and scratches appearing on baby Jane's face, even when she slept with her mittens on. There were so many odd things as well. Well, I mean, if she's two and a half, she shouldn't be scratching herself at night. I mean, that's what you do with a, a newborn, yeah. isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So that's one of the reasons why they were so worried. Yeah, so what, what else was happening? Milk would spill out of the bottle for no reason. I hope nobody cried about it. <laughs> I think they did, actually. Yes. Yes. There was lots of crying. Every night. Rips and tears appeared in the settee. Ones that looked like cuts rather than material being ripped. Oh, that's creepy. Also, cuts were appearing on the top of baby Jane's toy pram. Oh, dear. The outside gate would not stay shut, even when a brick was wedged against it and nothing would grow in the garden. 
Now, Bill had worked on an allotment all his life, so he knew how to grow a thing or two. But at 30 East Drive, nothing would grow at all. It remains barren to this day. The house was full of strange noises. Voices could be heard from time to time. And then there was the coal house. The coal house? Yes, where they kept the coal. Yes, I gather that. But what about it? Oh, I see. Barbara would never go into the coal house because it had such a strange and intimidating feel to it. And it's a bloke's job. Well, yes, there is that as well. <laughs> like putting out the bins. Yes, you coal, get, getting coal, putting out the bins. Although, oh, no, I would get the coal. Yeah, I mean, it's... No, if I should take that back. I would get the coal, actually. Yeah. But I don't like to put out the bins. No. Bins my job. <laughs> Except when I don't do it. And then it becomes my job. Yes. And I do it with a look. And you do it with a happy look. <laughs> I think that's a happy look. I am, look. actually. <laughs> I am normally. Is that not your happy look? <laughs> okay. Or what was the thing? Uh, the coal house. What happened there? Ah, uh, yes. Barbara would never go into the coal house because it had such a strange and intimidating feel to it. And, as we shall find out, it was the location for many a fearsome experience to come. It wasn't just the coal house that had an uneasy atmosphere. The small spare bedroom and the staircase also had an atmosphere. Bill said that he never felt safe walking down the stairs, that he felt unsteady on them. Barbara, that mind you, I can feel unsteady on the stairs now, but that's probably just because I don't do enough exercise in the gym, isn't it? Barbara started to bring religious ornaments, which she placed around the house, even though she was not a particularly religious person. Bill remarked how his wife Barbara would never sleep with the curtains closed, preferring the light of the street lamps for some comfort. Gosh, poor Barbara. He really seemed to get to her. The final straw came when, pregnant with Gillian, she had gone upstairs because baby Jane was, once again, crying. Only this time, she found baby Jane with a pillow over her face. Not my word! What did she do? She called the council and asked to be moved. Before the council got back to her, she had a stroke of luck. Hang on a sec, just trying to think. She called the council and asked to be moved. Do you remember in the Hexham Heads episode, our first episode? Yes. The next door neighbours there called the council and said, can I move please because our house is haunted. They must have a department oh, yes. <laughs> where they take the calls for the people whose houses are department, uh, those houses are haunted and want to move. Yes, exactly. Press four for if your house is haunted and would <laughs> yeah. like to move. Yes. That sort of thing. Anyway, before the council got back to her, she had a stroke of luck. While out shopping at the local shops, she bumped into a friend in the neighbourhood, Jean Pritchard. And as they were chatting, it became apparent that they were both unhappy with their houses. So Barbara suggested a swap. Really? Did Jean Pritchard accept? I mean, did she tell Jean Pritchard why she was unhappy with the house? Well... I'm guessing she didn't, because she did accept it was a much bigger house than the one they lived in. And that was one of the reasons for their unhappiness in their current house. It was too well, small. Jean was. Jean was unhappy in her house because it was too small. That's right. So for her, the swap seemed fantastic. It was a bigger house. It was uh, at the end of the row. It was great. So that's one of the reasons. Yes. And it was said later that another reason was that her house that Jean lived in currently, number 47 Checkerfield Road, was also haunted. Oh, no. Yes, but by a little girl. So neither of them mentioned the spooky goings-on in each other's houses. No, then. I they're don't both think they just do. Like, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't like it. So, but you could imagine what 
they would have said had they told each other the truth it would be well you see we've got this um you know ghost of a little girl and we're not too keen on it but uh we're a scratchy ghost a scratchy monks no problem yes that's one to have that night upon bill's arrival from work barbara announced that they were moving into 47 checkerfield road oh my goodness she was not hanging about was she and who can blame her Indeed. Bill was so worried by the way that the house had been affecting them that he readily agreed. In Bill's words, Hooky Walker loaned me the use of his removal van and my fireman friend Nobby Noble helped me move everything. This would have been May of 1955, end quote. Most excellent names there, Hooky Walker and Nobby Noble. So Bill and Barbara move out and Jean Pritchard and her family move in. I'm guessing it didn't go smoothly for the Pritchards. That's right. Altogether, there would have been Jean, Joe, her husband, their young son, Philip, who would have been about four, and the even younger daughter, Diane, who would have been just turning one. What the Farrars experienced was a sort of warm-up for what was in store for the Pritchard family. To begin with, There was no sign of any trouble. In fact, it was some years later, in 1966, that the first major incident occurred. It was a lovely sunny August bank holiday week. Jean, Joe and Diana were on holiday in Devon, leaving Philip, now 15, and his grandmother, Mrs Scholes, back at number 30 East Drive. It was a Thursday morning. Philip was in the garden and Mrs Scholes was inside knitting a cardigan. Suddenly, a cold wind blew through the house and slammed the back door shut. Philip came into the house and Mrs Scholes asked if there had been a wind getting up, to which Philip replied that it was all very calm outside. Mrs Scholes carried on knitting while Philip went into the kitchen to make tea and coffee. On his return into the lounge to give his grandmother a cup of tea, the sight that greeted him made him stop in his tracks and stare. Why? What was it? Floating through the air was a fine white powder which had started to settle on the floor and the furniture and Mrs Scholes, who was so absorbed in her knitting that she hadn't even noticed. And as Philip looked closer, he realised that the powder was falling not from the ceiling, which was the logical expectation that the paint was crumbling, but from a level somewhere just below his head. The top half of the room was completely clear and when Mrs Scholes stood up, her head was also above the line of the falling white powder. Mrs Scholes decided to go and get her daughter, Marie Kelly, who lived next door. Mrs Kelly took one puzzled look at the snowy scene and then took the pragmatic view that they had better clean it up. Was it still falling? Yes. Well, that sounds a bit of a Sisyphean task then. I agree. Anyway, more strangeness was afoot. Quite literally. As Mrs Kelly went into the kitchen to get some cleaning apparatus, she slipped on a pool of water on the floor. Unfazed, she took out a floor cloth from the cupboard and mopped up the water. And as she was wringing the cloth into the sink, she noticed that the pool had returned. The pools kept forming as fast as she could mop them up. Eventually, she pulled up the nylonium floor where the pools were occurring, only to find that the floor underneath was completely dry. The water board were called, who came round not long after lunch. The snow had stopped falling by this time, and it had been cleaned up. The engineer drew a blank after investigating the floor, the drains and the water pipes. Approximately an hour after the engineer left, thankfully, the puddles of water stopped. 
Things quietened down until about 7pm that evening, when the tea dispenser above the sink started to dispense itself. Philip and Mrs. Scholes looked on in astonishment as they saw the button push in and out all by itself, dispensing some tea with each push. It continued even when it was all empty. Then there was a crash in the hallway. Philip and Mrs. Scholes froze and wondered what had happened. They opened the door and peered into the gloom of the hallway. And as they looked, the hall light clicked on by itself, startling them. They saw what had caused the noise. A plant that was normally at the foot of the stairs was now halfway up the stairs and its pot was on the landing above. Then the kitchen cupboard started shaking and vibrating. And as soon as Phil entered the kitchen, the shaking and vibrating stopped. But another noise, like someone doing some carpentry, sawing and banging, started up. Mrs. Scholes decided to get her daughter again and Philip the Brave went with her. Mrs. Kelly, her daughter, returned to the house with her and as soon as she entered the kitchen, the cupboard started shaking and vibrating again. Mrs. Scholes went next door to see if the neighbour was making the banging noises. We thought it was you, said the neighbour. Mrs. Mountain. Oh my goodness, that must have been so disconcerting. Thankfully, by the time they got back to number 30, the noises, shaking and banging had stopped and Mrs. Kelly had made a much needed cup of tea. Oh, well done, Mrs. Kelly. Events seemed to calm down and Philip and Mrs. Scholes went to bed. As his grandmother came in to say goodnight, she noticed he was looking behind her. Why? because the wardrobe was swaying from side to side. What? Oh my goodness, what did they do? They spent the night at Mrs. Scholl's daughter next door. I don't blame them. Crikey, what a day! It didn't quite end there as Mrs. Kelly's husband, Victor, wanted to get to the bottom of it. About what time of this? It was about 11pm. They called the police and when they had been and gone and found nothing, they went to the local ghost specialist down the road, a man called Mr O'Donnell who appeared to be up and willing to come and investigate at the late hour. By about 2am, nothing had happened. So Mr O'Donnell decided to call it a night. And as he was getting ready to leave, he mentioned that poltergeists do some odd things, including ripping up photographs. Mr O'Donnell left, and as Marie and Vic Kelly locked the house... Who's Marie? She's the daughter. Oh. Vic's their husband. Oh, okay. Mr O'Donnell left and as Marie and Vic Kelly locked up the house, they heard another crash. Oh goodness, what happened? No, not something to do with photographs. Yes. Jean and Joe's wedding photograph had crashed to the floor and the picture slashed from end to end. Oh my words. So was that the end of the night's activities? It was. And all was quiet again and remained so for two years. Wow, that must have been a relief for them. So what happened? When did it start again? Almost two years to the day. It was coming round to August bank holiday again. It was gentle at first. Mrs Scholes started hearing noises and she mentioned this to Jean. So did Miss, Mrs Scholes live with them? She lived she, with the Pritchards? No, she came round a lot. Oh, right, OK. You were just mother, near, nearby mother. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so you used, to, you used to come around a lot. Okay. And, yeah, and was obviously the first to spot ghosts. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah so she'd, she'd started hearing noises and she'd mentioned this to Jean and Jean said she'd not heard anything. I doubt that. I think Jean probably had heard something but was denying it. Mm, quite right too. Yes. 
Yes, so Jean said she'd not heard anything. But as she went into the hall, she was amazed to find a counterpane from her bed at the foot of the stairs. What's a counterpane? Oh, it's sort of a big puffy... Oh, no, it's it's the blanket you put over the top of the blankets on a bed before we had duvets. Oh, right, okay. In fact, you could probably still have a counterpane now just just over the duvet, couldn't you? Oh, right, is that what it is? And is that kind of... All right, okay. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's sort of um, a big kind of normally got tassels on, hasn't it? Counterpane. I know, I can't picture it. Oh, right, okay. Uh, Yeah, maybe I'll put it in the show notes then, a link to what a (laughs) counterpane looks like. So, you can all find out. Is it what your mum has on the bed? Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's what I used to have. Okay. Anyway, this this counterpane. So, when you said it used to have, it normally has tassels on, was the ones that your mum have have tassels on? (laughs) It did. Yes, okay. <laughs> Pink tassels. Not on my oh, bed. Not yeah. on my bed. No, I had blue. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. Uh, anyway, so, but this counterpane, we're just getting off the story for a moment there, yeah. but this counterpane probably had tassels, I should expect. It was had gone from her bed to the foot of the stairs, and it had definitely not been there ten minutes earlier. So she took it back and placed it on her bed. Jean then went back to decorating Diane's room and not long after heard a crash and upon investigating the noise she saw Philip's counterpane at the bottom of the stairs and several plant pots upended. Oh, there must have been soil everywhere. How weird though to keep finding blankets (laughs) or counterpanes or just blankets at the foot of the stairs. I know. Earlier, Jean had moved the decorating materials out of Diane's room onto the landing. Later that night, after everyone had gone to bed, Jean couldn't sleep, and as she went onto the landing, there came a chill, and through the half-light from the streetlight outside, she could make out something swaying to and fro and rustling in the corner where the decorating materials were. As she switched on the light to see what it was, something flashed past her head, missing it by a whisker. She could now see what it was that was swaying. What was it? It was a strip of the wallpaper, stood upright, gently swaying as if in a breeze. Then it began to come upright and move like a cobra. Oh my word! And with great courage, Jean made a grab for it. And as she did so, it became lifeless and fluttered to the floor. At the same time, the carpet sweeper leapt up and started to swing around like a club. Jean fell to the floor and crawled back into her room, and she screamed, waking up the rest of the family. Philip and Diane appeared, and paintbrushes began to fly around them. One missed Diane by an inch. Another hit her on the shoulder. The invisible force seemed to move into Diane's room, and they watched in horror as it ripped the pelmet off the wall and threw it out of the window into the street below. What? It ripped... It ripped off the pelt, which is what? It's the thing that covers the curtains. It's the oh sort of my board God. that covers the curtains. It ripped it off the wall and threw it into the street below. Yes. And that was the start of a constant barrage normally, in which would normally go on in the evenings. What sort of things? Loud bangs, items would disappear, ornaments would levitate and fly around the room, lights would go on and off. Uh, so I assume they called the council and asked to move. No. Their view was that this was their house and they weren't giving it to a ghost. They christened the ghost Fred, who was also called Mr Nobody. Philip, however, suggested they have the ghost exorcised. Is that right? Exor- exorcised? Exorcised. <laughs> yes, rather than making, making them... <laughs> Go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exorcised. <laughs> Is it exorcised? 
Philip suggested they have the ghost ex- exorcised. Oh, that doesn't sound right either, does it? No. I don't know anyway, I, I think everybody is. knows what we mean. Yeah. It's, uh, you get a priest round, that type of thing. Enter the oh, Reverend... the exorcist, isn't it? Yes. Yes. They're not the exorc- exorcises. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, enter the Reverend Davy. Mr. Davy was reluctant, but said he would come over. He came over for tea and spent some time discussing what had happened and describing the process of the exorcism service. Eventually, the vicar decided he should be getting off. Oh, so the ghost never did anything while he was there? That must have been so annoying. Well, just as he was getting up, there was loud banging noises from above and a brass candlestick jumped off the mantelpiece. Oh, at least something happened. What did the vicar say? Well, he thought for a moment and then he told them that the problem that they had was not a ghost, but subsidence. Subsidence? I call it substance. (laughs) (laughs) Some call it subsidence. (laughs) When your house is falling over, that type of thing. Yeah, subsidence. Sinking into the ground. Yeah, that that makes no sense. (laughs) Substance makes no sense, but subsidence doesn't either. Okay. No, that wouldn't make your brass candles... Candlestick to leap off. You don't think? No. Well, at that moment, the other brass candlestick rose up from the shelf, floated across the vicar's nose and dropped to the floor. Oh, what did he say to that? Well, he didn't get time because as he opened his mouth, there was an almighty crash from the next room, as if the bed had fallen through the ceiling. Oh, my word. What was it? What had happened? It was the bed that had fallen through the ceiling. Really? No, but it was the, but it was the, but it was. I actually thought it was. <laughs> but it was every cup, saucer, and plate from the china cupboard emptied out onto the floor, but none of it broken, every piece intact. So, what was the Reverend Davy's thoughts now? He was finally convinced and said that it was something evil. He advised them to move. Oh, so so what? Somebody else could deal with the evil <laughs> in the right. house. Yes. There seems to be a bit of a bit of a theme here. I know, it's particularly as he went on to warn Jean that if she didn't move, it might cause real harm, not just to property, but also to people. What kind of advice is that? I know. He left, but that was not the end of the night's activities. The lights went out as Diane was on her way up the stairs to bed. I can't believe these people stayed at this house. I mean, I'd have gone. I'd have just have gone. Would you not have gone? You'd have gone. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, dancing snake-like wallpaper, uh, that would have had me. Well, I have to say the snow would have got me, but I think, yes. I would have been intrigued by the snow. No. That would have been intriguing. Um, You know, um, obviously frustrating to clear it up. But uh, glad it only happened once. If that happened every day, that would just be a pain. Yes, anyway, the lights went out as Diane was on her way up the stairs to bed. Diane saw a shadow appear on the wall and the atmosphere again went icy cold. The hall stand, quite a large and cumbersome piece of furniture, started to float towards her on the stairs. She began to walk backwards up the stairs away from the approaching hall stand when she tripped and fell backwards on the stairs. Exactly. The stand reached her (gasps) as she tried to escape, but it pressed down on her, enough to hold her down, but not enough to crush her. Joe had fixed the lights, which then came on, and Diane screamed. Philip and Jean could not budge the stand as it was held in place by a force stronger than the pair of them together. Jean then had a brilliant idea and told Diane 
to relax. Counterintuitive, it, it must have seemed. Yeah, bonkers, I think is the answer. <laughs> Not an easy thing to do in the circumstances, and bonkers. Yes. Why did she want her to relax? Well, I, I, who knows, but she must have thought that was, well, try anything, I guess, yeah. desperation. So, Diane, amazingly in that situation, did manage to relax enough that then the force weakened and Philip and Jean were able to get the stand off her. Oh, good Lord. Diane was not marked in any way, not a scratch, not a bruise. Which suggests then it was to, to terrify her rather than to hurt her, because nobody's actually getting hurt. Yes, that's They're just right. getting frightened. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, that must have been a relief when the ordeal was over. It wasn't. Well, it wasn't a relief. <laughs> it wasn't over. Oh, I see. <laughs> Diane went to bed, and as soon as the light was out, her sheets and blankets were ripped off the bed and thrown into the corner. Then, the mattress was levitated above her bed, flipping her onto the floor, the mattress coming down on top of her. She got back into the bed. What? And it happened again. No, no, no. You don't go back into the bed after it's levitated. Yes, you throw you, you run out of the yes. house and Never go next door to, uh, to, uh, um, the to the Kellys. Yeah, to yeah. the Kellys, yeah. No. But she did. And it happened another four times before Diane could go to sleep. She, could, she actually could go to sleep, though. If I'd had all of that, I wouldn't be going to sleep. Would you be going to sleep? No, I would be sitting there shaking and shivering if I was well, that Well, I'd be there. sat next door. Yeah, I would. I've gone next door having a nice cup of cocoa. No, I'd have whiskey. Yeah, whiskey would be better. But she was only. Yeah. She wasn't that old. Well, she wasn't. Was she? Wasn't um, she? Hot cocoa. Yeah. If you got marshmallows, put well, them. No, because no, it was two years after. So she's in her teens. She's in late teens, isn't she? Mid teens. No, no, she's not that old. She's only about twelve. Well, Philip would be Philip 17. Was, uh, oh, let's oh, not go. We're going down into a, no, a rabbit 16, hole. 16, 17, so she would have been 12 or 13, I think. Yeah, maybe. Oh. Yeah, so something like that. Anyway, you're right. She, 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 give her a whiskey. Why not? I'll have a whiskey. Yeah. yeah, so they're made of sterner stuff. Well, they've got some resolve, this family. They certainly they? have. Well, of course, they're from Yorkshire. Yes, steely folk. Indeed. They were determined not to be driven out of their home by a ghost. But they could don't seem to get trying to get rid of the ghost. Do you know what I mean? They're not trying to get people round to get rid of the ghost. I mean, I got the chat round, but he was useless. Wouldn't you just go and get another, you know, another reverend or something? Yeah, well, they had family and friends. Church. They stuck by them. And one such friend was Rini Holden, who had a reputation as being a bit of a psychic. I think anybody called Rini is a bit of a psychic. Probably. So Jean bumped into her in town and invited her over to the house. And on her first visit, Jean took her upstairs. Everything was strewn all over the landing and bedroom, even though that it was neat and tidy not 30 minutes before. Jean invited Rini for tea. Jean had cooked a chicken and was making chicken sandwiches. They went into the lounge, bringing the tray of sandwiches and drinks with them to join Philip and Diane, who were watching TV. Again, the lights went out and a cold, chill wind rushed through the house. Objects began to fly around in the dark and when the light returned, there were ornaments and cushions all over the floor. And although the sandwich plate was still on the table, it was empty. Jean noticed some of the sandwiches behind the TV and she bent down to pick it up and... Yes? A huge bite had been taken out of the sandwiches with enormous visible teeth marks. Oh, no! 
Rini suggested they try to contact the ghost to find out why it was haunting them. So they all held hands in the hallway and concentrated hard to try to get the ghost to manifest itself. Well, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Did they succeed? No. Instead, the ghost tipped everything not nailed down upstairs, over the banisters, bedding, boxes, mattresses, you name it, it came crashing down around them. And that's when they left? Well, no. And they, they did what? They must have run out at that point. No. Anyway, they stood there. They stood there and took it. The family also stood by them? Yes, well, most did. There was one, however, Aunt Maud. She didn't believe them and was irritated by all the fuss. Her view was that there was always a logical explanation. You just had to look for it. She was convinced it must be Philip and Diane playing tricks. She came to visit and not long after she had sat down, her coat still on, the lights went out and through the half-light, they could all see the fridge door open. A bottle of milk floated out across the lounge until it was over Aunt Maud's head. Oh, no, it didn't. It did. It tipped up emptying the contents all over Auntie Maud. Oh, goodness, it's like something out of Harry Potter. I know, it was over her head, down her coat. Oh, no. Needless to say, she was not happy and blamed the children, even though they had been sat next to Jean the whole time. Well, she's just been annoying then, isn't well, she? Well, yes, <laughs> indeed. If you see that happening, that's, that's some trick, isn't it? And also, if the children are sat there next to you, there's not a lot you can do, is there? Jean persuaded her to stay the night to see for herself. She took up the challenge. She went to take off her now milk-soaked hat and coat, but was not able to find her gloves. Joe said that they would turn up sooner or later. Oh, why do I get the feeling this won't be a normal here-they-are sort of arrangement? <laughs> That's right, you're absolutely right. That night, as Andy Maud and Jean decided to go to sleep, Jean went to turn off the, re the reading lamp. It slowly rose from the table and glided out the door, where they noticed two enormous hands. Terrified, they could see one hand at the top of the door, while the other hand was near the bottom of the door, an impossible distance to stretch. Also, they noticed that the hands were wearing Aunt Maud's fur gloves. Oh no, how did Maud react to that? She shouted at it and threw her boots at them. Good lass, I quite like that. <laughs> for, for a moment, the gloves vanished and then they reappeared around the door and floated into the room, beckoning Jean and Maud as if to follow them. Oh, they didn't go. Although... You kind of want them to go, but you don't want them to go. I know, I know. If only what would have happened if they went. Oh, anyway, I know. I know, but they didn't go. No. The gloves were not happy that they didn't go and clenched into a fist in Maud's direction. Oh, dearie me. Yes, well, the good Christian Maud was not to be cowed oh, by a no, pair of indeed. gloves in midair. No. And with a defiance to her tone, started to sing, Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. The gloves stopped for a moment and then began to conduct oh. Maud in her singing before vanishing into the night. Oh, my goodness. Well, I assume she didn't think the children were responsible for all of that. No, she didn't, claiming that they had the devil in the house and that she wouldn't stay another night for £20,000. A lot of money in those days. That's quite a lot of money now. <laughs> yes. So, that brings us to the end of the first part of the spooky tale of the Black Monk of Pontefract. Join us again in part two as we discover what terrifying event changed Joe Pritchard forever 
and what became of Jean. We'll also find out what incredible things have happened to the people that rent the house on a nightly basis, including the famous paranormal shows Most Haunted and Paranormal Lockdown. Would you stay there on I, Louise? No, nope, not a chance. Absolutely not. You? Well, I would. But there is one room that I would definitely not go into. Ooh. So join us in part two of the spooky tale of the Black Monk of Pontefract to find out. Well, we hope you enjoyed the spooky tale. We look forward to joining you again next time. Please do tell us your spooky tales either in the YouTube comments or via email, which is the spooky tales podcast at gmail.com. And come and follow us on Instagram at the spooky tales podcast. Or why not visit us on our Facebook page, Spooky Tales. Thanks again and we look forward to joining you again in part two of The Black Monk of Pontefract. Bye! Bye!